Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, welcome to The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I am your host, Sister Jenna. And as we continue to navigate life, it always seems to inspire me about the stories that we hear about each other and how they inspire us. I mean, come on. When you sit back and hear what somebody has gone through in terms of their struggles to their triumphs, don't they touch something in you that kind of makes you move towards what am I doing with my life? How am I coping? Or maybe you're able to pick up a particular virtue, value, or strength in just hearing the person's story. My special guest today, Christine Handy, is an accomplished model, a nationally recognized humanitarian, a motivational speaker, and a cancer survivor. She never imagined those dreaded words would ever be said to her. You have cancer, Christine. She faced an ominous diagnosis of aggressive breast cancer at the age of 40 and spent the next 15 months in fight for her life. Christine has seen it all and has overcome all odds. She is now on the board of eBeauty, a national charitable wig exchange program for those who cannot afford wigs during treatment. And she is the president of the Board of People of Purpose, a nonprofit company in Palm Beach County. She's changing the rate of recidivism. And she is the author of best selling Walk Beside Me, which is in production to become a film called Willow, the feature film directed by Zayed Hamze. Christine travels the globe to speak to wide audiences, and she's working on her next novel, but her real joy comes from serving and teaching others. Let's welcome Christine. Welcome, Christine. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. It was beautiful. So walk us through your life a little. You know, you grew up in South, what do you call it, St. Louis. You began your modeling career at 11. I love when models come out of these small towns. And go to the big city and like, what in the world was I doing in that town of 50 people? 
Anyway, after college in Dallas, your modeling career just took off. And years later, you started to have some major health issues. Tell us a little bit about the journey. So I did start modeling when I was very young. And my parents did not want me to do it. So a lot of people ask me, oh, did your parents push you into it? No, they were totally against it. I had three other sisters at home and my parents were very busy with four children and they were very young. And so I just pushed and pushed and pushed. It's just what I wanted to do at a young age. I kind of knew that that was where I was headed. And so when I started to model, I really enjoyed it. And it taught me a lot about my external, right? I was very focused on the external for many, many years. And when I went to SMU, I continued my modeling throughout college. And I thought, what am I going to do after college? I'd like to write. But I didn't have a lot of self-confidence in my ability to really do anything other than model. And so after college, I continued to model and did very well. And so that became kind of my career. And when I was 25, I got married and had two sons at 28 and 30. And I became a mother, which is ultimately the only thing that I really wanted to do. And then at the age of 35, while I was still modeling and also being a mother and living this very traditional life, I started to get sick. And my first illness was a colon resection. And I went into this surgery. I really didn't know what ultimately it meant to have a colon resection, but I did know that I was having digestive issues. And when I woke up from the surgery, I had a port in my neck with a blood bag coming in. And that was my second blood transfusion. And I felt it was supposed to be an orthoscopic surgery. And when I felt down to my stomach, I was in insane pain. I could feel that there were staples and stitches all over my abdomen. And I was modeling and I had shown my surgeon my modeling comp card, lingerie, and JCPenney was like my bread and butter. So if you picked up the newspaper and saw JCPenney lingerie or bathing suit ad on Sunday mornings, that was me. And so it made a difference that he had to cut me wide open. And it was an emergency. The surgery had gone wrong and he had injured a vein in one of my bones in my pelvis area. And for a long time, he tried to find the source of that bleeding until ultimately he couldn't. And that's when he had wide open and cut through all those muscles and cut through everything because he didn't have time to move the things that were in its way. And so that took about a year to get over. And really at that time, I started to question like who I was inside because I had to take off time, right, from modeling and taking care of my kids because I was trying to recuperate. Were you ever angry when you had realized that he had kind of botched up the surgery? Because sometimes we get into that mode. Not with that, doctor, because he came to my bedside the day after and just said, I am so sorry. He had such compassion and such empathy for what he had done. And so I forgave him. You know, people make mistakes. 20% of all surgeries that is a mistake or an accident, whatever. But it was then where I started to really think to myself, there's got to be more than this. I just feel like a little bit lonely. I feel kind of lost. I wasn't sure why. Yeah. So fast forward five years, I had a torn ligament in my right wrist and I went to see three different doctors and I picked the Stanford grad because he had the right pedigree. And he gave me the right answers. He said, it'll be quick. You'll be back to yoga and being the self-proclaimed athlete that I said I was. And you'll be back to doing your chores as a mother and all the things that you do. And I said, okay, perfect. Sign me up. And I had to have the surgery. My ligament was torn all the way through. It wasn't elective. And so I had the surgery. And six weeks later, the cast came off. And two days after that, which was a Sunday, 
my arm ballooned. So my right arm looked like my thigh bone. What were you doing? I know, right? And so I called him on a Sunday, which was a little frightening for me because I'd always been taught, you know, don't question authority. Don't waste people's time. Don't put people out. And so this was going on in my head. But in the meantime, I'm looking at my arm that looks like my thigh bone and I'm thinking this, there's something really wrong. And so I called him on a Sunday and he told me that I had over iced my arm. And listen, I didn't go to Stanford. I don't have a medical degree. And so I trusted him. And of course, looking back, that sounds ridiculous, right? Like how could swelling because you iced it too much? So over the course of the next seven months, that doctor bullied me told me that the pain and swelling was in my head, that I was a hysterical housewife, that I was looking for attention. And again, I didn't really understand what was happening to me at the time. And so ultimately my arm was fused because he had misdiagnosed me. I had an infection the entire time. Every bone Mm -hmm. in my wrist was broken and I became disabled in my right arm. And Six weeks after my arm was fused, I was in a hotel in New York City for my post-fusion of my arm. And I'm trying to figure out, how am I going to live the rest of my life with a fused arm? No wrists. How am I going to drive? How am I going to cook? And modeling was now off the table, I thought. And so I was in this hotel. And for the past several months where I had all these casts on my arm, I would keep my arm out of the shower when I would bathe. And so I'd pour liquid soap over my shoulder and just let it wash down my body. So I was in this hotel in New York City and I called down to the front desk and said, can you get me some liquid soap? And they kind of laughed at me. So I took this bar of soap and I have this huge cast and these grafts on my arm and trying to keep this out of the shower. And I washed my chest and I immediately felt a lump. And quite literally five days later, I'm home alone in a robe because I can't get dressed on my own. I'm waiting for somebody to come help me get dressed. And a, a doctor called me and told me I had breast cancer. So my life crumbled. (laughs) Whenever you hear that word, we call them C-cells. It takes you into a very deep portal inside of you that does some serious soul searching. And I don't know what it is about that particular dis-ease that out of perhaps many other diseases, it takes you on a deep soul quest in terms of who you are, where you are, what you've done, what do you need to let go, what do you need to forgive, so many things. So how did the diagnosis of the cancer change your perspective on life? Well, what you made a very good point. I wish I had talked to you then because I was going through that soul searching and I was trying to take a capsule of my life and see what I'd done and if I survived, right? That what I was going to do moving forward. And all that introspection that I was doing, which I didn't really understand I was doing it, changed my perspective on life. So I went from being very validated by my external to figuring out who I was inside. And that was a really scary process for me because I had no idea who I was. Because for 41 years, all I really knew was this facade. And it was external accolades and it was materialism and it was flattery and it was my job. This transactional world that I lived in, the modeling world is very transactional, which I just thought that's how people live. And then when you're faced with that kind of diagnosis, and for me, I had a doctor say, this is your chance of survival. I didn't really like to know that. And I had young kids. And so I had to really quickly react, right? And how was I going to walk through this disease? 
And it became very obvious to me that people were watching how I was reacting to it because they wanted to see how I was going to handle it. And I didn't necessarily handle it well in the beginning, but once I started to really understand the impact that I could have, I didn't know the outcome, but I was going to model courage to my family, to my friends and to my kids. So that became my goal. Instead of being panicked about what am I going to live or die? I became very cognizant of how I was going to get through the day and what does that look like? And so my focus, I refocused from this, right? I lost my hair. I lost my eyebrows. I lost my eyelashes. And I looked like a little old woman. I was 90 some odd pounds, very ill. And I had still a cast on my arm, right? So I'm going to chemotherapy with this cast and these grafts on my arm. And, you know, I'm looking around at my body going, what happened? How did I get here? But I could have stayed in that victim mode. I could have stayed in that fear-based life that I had been living or switch it to, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to show grit and grace, healing and faith over fear. But it was self-induced, right? Like it's a choice. But then it has to be induced in some way or the other, whether it's done with love and ease or you do get that thought, I've got to pull myself through this. Did your understanding of God and faith change at all during that time period for you? Dramatically. I had been raised with faith. I had the footing, but when I was a model and was a young mother and I wasn't sick, it was more important for me to go to a yoga class than to a Bible study. And that shifted, right? And so my focus became faith and then the other stuff trickled down. And so I was now rooted in faith versus this world. It became totally different for me, fortunately. In terms of the shift in faith and in God and really starting to go more into the spiritual, you later emerged from all of these health challenges, didn't you? And started to speak, started to become an expert in conquering breast cancer, a spokesperson for multiple breast cancer organizations. What was the source of your strength then that allowed you to be the victorious one rather than the victim? Because We tend to go to, why me? I mean, just think about it. Your whole life was about this. And now your whole life is about the world behind your eyes. Right. Yeah, you say it so beautifully. Again, it was a choice. And I was very angry for a long time at that doctor that did this to my arm. And that anger got me nowhere. And that bitterness and that backpack of not contentment, but just frustration and stress and fear. I was carrying that and it was showing up in my life and it was just spewing it. You know, it was not just in my head, but it was how it was the language I was speaking. And I didn't like that. It felt really physically uncomfortable. And when I started to heal and when I started to get rid of that anger towards the doctor and started to depend on Bible verses, like vengeance is not ours, it's God's. And when I started to really trust in that, then all of that kind of washed away from me and I felt lighter and I felt safe. And so I started to ruminate instead of why me, I started to ruminate on why not me and how can I use this to help other people? So that's why I wrote the book, right? It wasn't self-serving. It wasn't like, oh, Christine Handy, I want my name out there. It was because I can take what I've gone through and use the tools and to show people how not to allow a doctor to bully them, how not to live in fear, right? And if I could keep somebody from going down that path, that's what I wanted to do. The trauma was intense and immense for me. It was horrible. But if I could prevent somebody from doing that, that's all I wanted to do. What a privilege for me. 
Can you recall those quiet moments? They especially become amplified when you're lying in bed and the kids are asleep and the house is quiet and it's just you and your thoughts at night before the book emerges. Do you remember those thoughts that used to percolate in your consciousness? The reason why I'm asking is that I find them so telling in terms of the to-do list. But because we're so busy with taking care of kids, business, cooking, cleaning, you're like to-do later. That is so true. What a powerful question. I think about that now too, because over the course of my life, whether it was in the modeling world or as a young mom, I started to really think that doing was my value instead of being. And when you're in those quiet moments, when you're faced with cancer, and I was violently ill for 15 months with chemotherapy and people can help you all day long, but you go to bed and you wake up the next morning with the one who has cancer. And so those moments of quiet, which are a lot, I had to really change the tape that was going on in my head because for so long, I was telling myself, you're not worthy. You have no value without your looks. And when I was going through this cancer journey, I had to consciously change those at night when I was going to sleep and say, no, that's not what God says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says I am worthy. The Bible says that God's going to take this pain and do something with it. And it was not easy. And I didn't really believe it at the beginning, but after month after month, I wasn't just saying it. My friends were saying it. My family was saying it. And so I started to believe that. And it was those moments when you're alone and you have to make those choices about what you're going to say to yourself that really changed me. I still remind myself today. Yeah. We can all get tripped up into the doing, right? I mean, so that's now, just how we are. Yeah. Especially as women, you know, we can do a hundred things at once that make it look good. So as we are navigating, right, the book is coming up. You are writing the book because if one person can find hope and inspiration to navigate during this particular time period, you've also said that your story is an example of why you need to take care of your self-esteem and self-worth because we take hits with health or relationships. What was revealed to you from this experience in terms of self-esteem and self-worth, it's a huge topic, self-esteem, where you are just okay, even if it doesn't seem fully okay. That's some huge self-esteem right there. That's exactly right. And so this is so interesting. So when I used to like walk my kids to school before I was sick, I used to make myself look kind of messy, but cool. And so I wanted people to think, oh, she's not really putting on a lot of makeup. She's not really dressing up. But that's exactly what I was doing, right? That's the life I was living. I like pretend, right? But it was super lonely. When you're ill and you're faced with trauma, you're like, I don't really care what people think of me anymore. Like, I know there's no U-Haul behind the hearse. I know that you can't take it with you. And so all these things, all these values that I put at the front of the line. Wait, wait, say that again. You know there is no U-Haul behind that hearse? Where in the world did you get that one from? (laughs) I just made that up. Like when I started to speak, I thought, gosh, you can't take it with you. (laughs) I love it. Folks, did you hear that? There is no U-Haul behind your hurts. So stop (laughs) running after illusions and fighting with people. I'm telling you, there is no U-Haul behind your hurts. I love that one. Continue, please. (laughs) Give me some more. (laughs) Well, It became really obvious to me at that time of my life that tomorrow really wasn't promised to me. And I had no family history of cancer. I had that never even crossed my mind that I would have breast cancer. 
And so now I was faced with this thing that came out of nowhere. And I thought, gosh, what am I going to do with this? Like I said, it was that self-reflection where it could have gone in a lot of different ways. So I'm writing this book and I'm going through this process of, again, starting to doubt myself. I've never been trained to be a writer. I've never written a book. Will people accept me? And then I went back to those biblical truths that I was learning where it said, no, there's going to be purpose in this pain. And I used to say to God, if you want this book out there, get it out there. And if I can help other people with this pain and with what we're going to do going forward, then let's do it together. Right. And so it became this kind of like conversation with me and God. And where I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And so The self-esteem and the self-worth part of this, in my opinion, is critical because when my self-esteem was based on the external, when my self-worth was based on the bag that I was carrying or the physical address or the kind of car I was driving and that dependency on materialism or that dependency on the next modeling job, my self-esteem was zero. And when that shifted and I lost what I looked like, I had no hair my self-esteem started to really take some a grip. And it was because my self-esteem was rooted in faith. My self-esteem wasn't rooted in this world. And I started to not have any pride and ego as well, because I think that we get tripped up. I used to get tripped up a lot when I used to, those thoughts in my head were, oh, you're not worthy. So I can't ask people for help. And so when you're faced with 28 rounds of chemotherapy and who knows how many surgeries and you have a low self-esteem, and you think nobody's going to help you, there's a lot of despair that comes with that. And so once people start showing up for you, your self-esteem starts to get stronger. And then you add some faith into that and you start to read the Bible. Then you get a little bit more momentum with that self-esteem. And so right now, although I, I live in chronic pain and you know society doesn't always push me forward and cheer me on, it doesn't matter. Mm. I don't care what people think of me because my faith is my root. That's my measure. This isn't my measure. Yeah. yeah. You know, let me say something, Christine. Maybe all of us aren't born beautiful and making money on our beauty, but you don't even have to play that part. We look in the mirror every single day and we have expectations of the way we're supposed to show up in the world. Most of the young girls that I see today on social media, the way that they're dressing and carrying themselves is because they're influenced by someone they've seen on the cover of a magazine or on screen, and yet they've not taken the time to look inside of themselves and identify their natural interior beauty yet. And I can assure you that every woman out there and man who really begin to focus on the interior beauty, however are your features, your nose, your eyes, your hair, there's a beauty inside of you that will not be hidden from your external looks. It will just shine like a million stars. You know, when you look back at life, Christine, there are a lot of things you can be grateful for. Your two sons, surviving cancer, helping a lot of nonprofits, your book, uh, Walk Beside Me, coming up as a film, perhaps. You're grateful, aren't you? You're grateful. I am. Like I said, I do live in chronic pain. And instead of focusing on that pain, I focus on the blessings. But again, these are all choices. And what you said is so true about the expectations we have of this world. And I think that for me, when I let go of a lot of those expectations, I really started to soar. And you're right. We all have this beautiful light within us. But when we add comparison, filters, judgment, social media, then those 
things can destroy our self-esteem. Personally, I think self-esteem should be worked on every day to counteract the world that we live in. And I think that unless you do that, things can get a little rocky with your self-esteem and we're influenced by other people on some level, all of us. Indeed. Yeah. Recognizing that is the first step. And then asking yourself, what are you telling yourself? That's the second step. I want us to go back to this whole thing, you know, when you live a life where you do everything right. And I don't know if it's the pandemic that has us thinking deeper into the purpose of our existence or who we are or the way that we're supposed to show up in the world. But thinking about my mother, she's also a breast cancer survivor, was very aggressive. She now has dementia. She's living with me. And my mother is just a beautiful mess. I love that. She'll get up and her hair looks like Don King. And she'll just walk like a peacock. You know, whereas you will not see my hair looking like Don King. I'm always neat, always put together. And even if I get a spot in my clothes, it's like... So lately I've been thinking to myself, what is perfection to you, Jen? Is it that once the soul has a deep experience of God's love, Mm. that the way the energy of the soul expresses itself through the senses and through the choices that it makes, then it shows that beauty. And it's not an external beauty. It's a beauty based on virtues and values and divinity. And is that the perfection we've been actually trying to achieve or maintain, but instead the frequency was a little bit turned off and we started to look at the external perfection of things rather than the internal perfection of things. Any thoughts? I love that. And you're so spot on, but you're light years ahead of most people. And so if you just walk out into the world with the billboards and TV and what we are being shown and flashed at us every day, just turn on Bravo TV or E! Entertainment, and we get the other frequency, it's really hard to have a balance. But if you spend the time like you have and you do the introspection and the perfectionism isn't about the show we put on, the perfectionism becomes what your character is about, right? Which you and I yearn for. I just know that. That's a different perfectionism. Like for me, I wake up every day and wherever I walk, even on the sidewalk, I try to serve. And so by the end of the day, I know that my soul feels content. But if we get that fulfillment from outside accolades and social media and what the world wants to give us, then I don't know how anybody can feel contentment. I never felt contentment. I always felt lost. And so my perfectionism, while it still exists, it's yearning for something different. But because of what I've gone through, I'm here. Some people are able to get here without going through all that trauma. And I'm hoping I can teach some people that. But the perfectionism is beautiful in the way that you and I are talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about eBeauty, which is doing amazing work with cancer patients and how you became involved with them. Yeah. So eBeauty is an incredible resource. I was able to buy wigs when I was going through treatment. And a lot of people, well, they question like, do you really need it or you don't need it? My kids needed me to look like their mom. And I'll give you a really short vignette. But when I had no hair, I bought a brunette wig. It was kind of a short bob and my mom encouraged me to just try different wigs and just, you know, just try to make it fun or playful. And one day, and I had this cute little blonde wig on and I thought it was pretty cute. And my son walked over to me, he was 10 and he took it off of my head and he threw it across the room. 
And it was because he needed to look at me as his mom. He didn't want to see a different version of me. And so women who cannot afford a wig, it's a real burden for them. And so this woman, Carolyn Keller, started this organization like 10 years ago. And we have redistributed over 55,000 wigs to women going through treatment who cannot afford them. They are free. And so we have partnered with L'Oreal, who gives us grant money. And our biggest cost is shipping the wigs out. And we've partnered with Paul Mitchell Salons, who wash and style our wigs. So if you go to the eBeauty website, you can pick up the color, the cut, and the style, and we will send you a free wig. So it's an incredible organization. It was beautiful. Thank you for doing that. Wow, that's nice. My mother had this wig that was from a clown. Really? Yes. I'm going to send you the picture. I would love it. Yeah. And we would walk around just like, oh my God. And we just had to accept it, you know, because that's just her. Like everything is I okay. I love her spirit. Wow. Oh, everything is okay. She's teaching me a lot. That's amazing that she modeled that for you. You're lucky. Yeah. yeah. So Walk Beside Me is in production. And I've heard that Willow is your nickname. Yeah. Do you know when it'll be released? Well, so the bummer of COVID is that we were supposed to start filming May of 2020 and it's been postponed because of that. And it's starting to get a little bit more traction now, but it's a great project. And a lot of times when books are made into films, the adaptation changes the story a bit, but it's not in this case. Adaptation is very in alignment with the book. So that's great. Oh, good, good. So how's your master's degree coming along at Harvard? I love it. What are you thinking about at 50 years old, you decide to go back to Harvard to take a master's degree in creative writing? I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, part of the reason was because I had such bad chemo brain after I went through chemotherapy. My short-term memory was off and just my brain wasn't functioning the way it had functioned. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to go back to school and do something that I really love to do, which is writing. And it's really changed my brain. It's eliminated the chemo brain altogether. So there were a lot of different reasons why I did it. And I love it. Oh, that's good. It's great to hear. In the Florida prison system all over America, I have mixed feelings about it. I wish it was a place of rehabilitation for majority of the people who have committed serious crimes against peace. And you are doing motivational speaking. I mean, do you have a group of people who go into these prisons. How is that emerging or unfolding in terms of heading into that environment, the being of service? Is there a particular story that has emerged out of there that continues to inspire you or your team to keep doing this service? Yeah. So if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be speaking in the Florida prison system, I would have just thought you might've been crazy or something. But when I was hired to do this, I thought they were going to put me in women's prisons. They actually put me in men's prisons. I've never spoken in a women's prison. And the first time I spoke in a prison in the state of Florida, I thought these men are going to wonder why is this middle-aged blonde woman coming to talk to us? And so how do I counteract that? And so although my story is a story of trauma, it's also a story of hope. And so I decided to take that hopeful part of the story and start to talk to the prisoners about being, regardless if you're in a prison behind these bars, a lot of people are in a prison in their own life. Like for me, I was in my own little prison. Like I was afraid to question authority, right? Well, that didn't get me very far. And so we put ourselves in these little prisons. And if you live a fear-based life, that's a prison. And so I started to speak to these prisoners about those types of prisons that people are in, not behind bars. And that when they get out to try to 
go through the interception and self-discovery there so that they don't go through that when they get out. And it started to get some traction. The prisoners asked for me to come back and talk to them. And a few of those prisoners reached out to me on social media after they were released from prison. And one of the gentlemen, his name is William Freeman. He reached out to me about four years ago. And he and I are the ones that started this nonprofit. He asked me to meet him for lunch. And I said, no problem. I did. And a couple of people in my life would say, don't go meet him. You know, he was in jail for a murder. And I said, well, okay, but there's this unforgiveness part that I don't want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And so we made this organization, which I'm the president of, and he's the director. Beautiful and story. It's incredible what we're doing. And serving can look very different from day to day. And it can look very different from organization to organization. But the things that I do, whether it's with e-beauty and breast cancer or with people of purpose and the rate of recidivism, it's all serving. And so I'm just lucky that I've had these opportunities where people have heard my story and have said to me, can you help in this regard? And I've had the time to say, I'm all in. And that's a privilege for me. And sometimes people would look at it as that's a privilege for other people. It's giving me joy. I felt great happiness in my life as a model, as a mother, all these labels that I carry. I have felt incredible joy by being not self-serving, by serving other people. So in a way, that's very selfish, right? But it's it's pure. pure. So my definition of pure selfishness is that it serves everyone as well, but selfishness only serves me. Yes. So I always add that pure selfishness. I love that. Yeah. All right. So what's your main message, even though you've left us with a lot to think about, like the U-Haul behind the hearse, but (laughs) what's your main message that you'd like to leave our beautiful audience with today? And it's been a delight having you. You've been wonderful. Thank Thank you so much. I think the most important message is there's purpose in pain always, but we have to have the ability to use it to help other people. And the second message I would say is spend time working on your self-esteem. And as strong as we are, we're, that is being negated every day when we're just walking in this life. And so you got to take the time, the quiet time and work on your self-esteem and your own thoughts every day. Thank you so much, Christine, for being with us on The Next Normal and America Meditating Radio. Stay healthy, stay beautiful, stay powerful, and keep serving. Exactly. Thank you. I definitely will. Hey, everyone, you must have taken a lot from my conversation with Christine. And for more information, please visit her websites that are definitely in right here at the bottom of our screen and also what she had mentioned. There's a lot to take away from today's conversation. And I'd like to ask you, how did you feel as you were listening from her struggle to triumph? Was there something that you picked up that you also recognize? I can do this. If you're going through a challenge at this moment, just hang in there. Don't let go of believing that you believe that you are more stronger than the outside situations, even though it comes rough and tough. And it feels like it's only got your name on it. Pain, struggle, problem, obstacles, difficulties. Maybe you feel it only has your name, but you know what? Nothing is more powerful than your spirit connected to source. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I suspect we are here to learn to love each other the same. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care of yourselves. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? 
because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in and do be easy on yourself. Take care. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.